0: Welcome to a brand new Tuesday edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. So as we have talked about, I know several times on this show, we vote with our dollars, right? Businesses don't usually change their ways unless they feel some sort of financial reason to do so. So that's why personally i'm trying to buy a little bit less from stores like amazon and target but you know at the same time we have to be practical and recognize that you know we can't boycott every brand that doesn't necessarily align with our values because if we did that we wouldn't have anywhere to shop because wow there's something woke and crazy and wild in uh, every single store probably if you look deep enough and then there's that convenience factor right so like take amazon for example their top selling item is not a product but their gift cards and i mean think about it because we've all done it right you all of a sudden you wake up in the morning and you realize oh my gosh it's my brother's birthday and I got him nothing. So you hop on Amazon and you purchase that gift card and send it his way and he gets to buy what he wants. And it takes like five minutes. Uh, you know, it's it's something that we've all done. But if you're trying to stay away from these big, woke companies, then maybe instead of purchasing the Amazon gift card, consider a company like Cole 1972. They're a pro-life clothing company, coal stands for culture of life. Um, Or you could look at a very pro-American company like the Black Rifle Coffee Company. You can buy gift cards from them. They sell mugs, all sorts of fun things. So there's lots of uh, very pro-american very pro-american value companies out there sometimes it just takes a little bit of digging to find them because they tend to be a little bit smaller sometimes a little newer Um, so if you know of any great companies out there that you're like you know what these people, I you know, I want my friends to know about them. I want them to uh, get more business because they are pro-American. They believe in things I believe in. Then DM me on the Pro American Women Instagram account, and we'll give those companies a shout out. Um, Because, you know, it's going to take all of us to kind of start to pull away from uh, from woke companies like the Amazons and the Targets in order to make hopefully a little bit of a dent and send a message to these companies that, hey, we're not a fan of you pushing all of this transgender identity ideology on us of the very uh, pro abortion ideology that they're pushing. So we vote with our dollars, but (laughs) we could just keep talking about this all day. But we do have an awesome show to get to. I recently was at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Texas, and I had a chance to sit down with Carmen Maria Montiel. Carmen has such a powerful story of immigrating to America from Venezuela. She is a writer and really a political activist. And she says, that she's really concerned that what happened in her home country of Venezuela is actually happening right here in America now. So she is one sharp problematic woman. She's trying to use her platform and her voice to really preserve American freedom. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Carmen. It is my honor to welcome to the show Carmen Maria Montiel. Carmen was born in Venezuela and won Miss Venezuela and Myth South America pageants in 1984, and she earned second runner-up for Miss Universe. Today, Carmen is a journalist, a writer and an advocate for conservative policies in her state of Texas. Carmen, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: So I want to start by just talking a little bit about your background. You were born in Venezuela. Uh, your home country, though, has changed a lot since yes. you were first born there. Could you just explain a little bit about kind of the rise and fall of Venezuela? What what changed in your nation?
1: Well, I always say that I was born in paradise, mm-hmm. uh, the country I grew up with. with and when I was born... It was perfection. We were the beacon of hope in, in the region, in Latin America. We were the country with money. The country was the most advanced, uh, because the, the production of oil and money allow us to be, uh, at the front of every new modern development. And the cities were, you know, developing like, you know, in the 20th century. Uh, it's a beautiful country that have everything. I always tell people we have the largest Caribbean coast. We have snow. We have desert. You know, it's, it's like perfection. And we grow up being... Very conservative. I, I am from a state and a city that is the most similar to Texas. That's what I always say. I'm in the right place. It's about oil and cows, and that's why I grew up with oil, and it was safe. But as, as a young adult, I started to see how corruption was growing, how bureaucracy was growing. And I remember how my dad always told us what is killing this country is bureaucracy and corruption. But it was the starting point. And my dad uh, in the 80s told us that he, the best for all of us, uh, my siblings and I, was to come to the United States, study, and stay here because he was a visionary. He knew that everything was set to change, and, and he did.
0: So how old were you when you ended up coming to America?
1: I came to America after the pageant when I was 23 years old to further my education. I studied arts first, and then I studied journalism, and that's what I finished here in the United States. Uh, my first year was in North Carolina learning English, and then I graduated from East Tennessee State University. And after graduating, I moved to Houston. And I always said that Houston is for me like a Maracaibo, and Texas is like the state of of Zulia, and what I was here was when Hugo Chavez won, uh, because I came here in nineteen eighty eight and ten years later is when he won the elections in nineteen ninety eight. And he was a, a communist a socialist that promised the people to take from the rich, to give to the poor. And that's always a bad, you know, because what we need to teach our people is teach them how to fish and, and, and the people that is rich is not their fault. They have work. And actually, they create jobs for the rest of us. If you strangulate and oppress them, then the whole pyramid falls because there is not job creation. So I saw from afar how the country changed and and at that point then we have to bring our parents over and the rest of my siblings came over and and that destroyed the family because today we're all spread around the world. Latino families were very united. Our families, not only the nuclear family. Our families is about the aunts and the uncles and the cousins. And nowadays, we're really, I have family in Australia, in Europe, in United States, South America, where, and that really is one of the things that I always said about socialism is they want to destroy the family. Because when they destroy the family, they can control the individual. Uh, but when you belong to a family union, it's much, much more difficult to control you and dominate you.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, the family is truly the backbone of society. If we want to have a flourishing society, you have to have strong families. Yes. You have to have united families. So for you as a child growing up in
1: Venezuela,
0: how would you describe your life there? Tell us a little bit of what it was like.
1: It, it was a very... Like I told you, paradise, you know, we, we had it all. Uh, we were able to, to live an incredible life. You know, I used to go to a, a Catholic school. I was able to enjoy my family. Many times, you know, a party, you only invite the family it was a hundred people. But certain things started to happen then. In the seventies and eighties, uh, suddenly the op, the borders were open in Venezuela, and we started to get a major influx of migrants. And with that, with, that's how I started. Being a little girl, I started to see how crime went up, drugs came to the country. And, and nowadays, when I see what's happening in the United States with the, with the border open, I was like, okay, it's the same thing happening 30, 40 years after and that's what I say, you know, this socialist plan is a plan, is a manual and they repeat it step by step. Wow. And uh, Growing up, like I always said, the pageant was an accident. I I was in in a discotheque with my cousins and friends because we went out in groups. And I met the president of the Miss Venezuela pageant. And he came to me and said, you should compete. And I thought he was crazy. And it took him three years to convince me because that was nothing that I ever planned or dreamed with. It was really an accident, but it, it, it has been a very important accident in my life. It have taken me to great places. Uh, I would say it changed my life because it gave me incredible opportunities. And that's what I tell my children, that I have three, and every young person said, take every opportunity that comes to you. You never know what's going to take you.
0: Yeah, I think the world of pageants is so fascinating. You know, we've all maybe, you know, seen the movie Miss Congeniality or something like that. And we sort of have little glimpses of into that that world of of pageants. And, you know, you hear, you know, about so-and-so being crowned or this or that. What was it like for you? What what did you kind of gain from that experience of being in that world of, of pageants and learning how to think on your feet and answer questions during competitions and that kind of thing?
1: Well, imagine people don't realize that when we're answering questions, we know this is going live to millions of people. And here you have a young girl having to answer within seconds to whatever and and do well. And that's already a great training in life. And I said, I think it was the best training to be later on in my life in politics. But it also, I since I never planned it or wanted or dreamed with it, and, and I felt like, I was so lucky that it happened, and I said, "What am I going to do with this?" So I was the only Miss Venezuela in history, till today, that created a foundation, and I dedicated all the foundation to raise money for pediatric hospitals. And uh, with, and then I went on to be Miss South America and the experience Miss Universe that you are sharing with. We were 82 girls from all around the world. So the teaching experience, you know, I always say it, it, I, it made me grow so much in one year that I will always treasure that experience because that's, that was like having a master and Ph.D. about life. And my foundation went on, grew to extend it to Peru and, and Ecuador, because of the situation in Venezuela doesn't no longer exist mm. in Venezuela, but still working in Peru. So I'm very proud that 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 little seat that I put there, it's still after almost 40 years, it giving helping pediatrics hospitals.
0: That's so cool. And that was when you were in your 20s, right? Ninety years old. Wow. <laughs> you were 19. Oh, my goodness. Major. <laughs> yes. I think that's so encouraging yeah. to hear of young women doing these powerful things that literally you planted a seed, like you said, and there's still fruit coming from that today. That's incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um,
1: um, um, those, those one of the things that I tell people, you know, take the opportunities and make something good out of it.
0: Yeah, I love it. Now, I want to go back to just a little bit about kind of what you're seeing in comparison to um, Venezuela and America, because you mentioned the fact that you started to see things shift and change in Venezuela as they began to open up their borders more and more. Of course, we're seeing that. We've been seeing that in America. People are flooding across the border. We're having record numbers of illegal migrants coming into our country. Do you think that that is the greatest issue facing America right now? What What would you say? What, what are our greatest challenges as a country?
1: There is many. But what people need to think about the problem at the border right now is they need to take, they're saying today is 3 million people. You have to multiply that 3 million people by the number of children they're going to have. In 20 years, we're not going to recognize this country. And it's exactly what happened in Venezuela. This Uh, migrants came in the 70s and 80s, in 1998, the children of these migrants were the ones who voted for Hugo Chavez. And we never saw Venezuela to get back to what it was. I started to when oh, when I came to to this country, I already had a morning talk show in Venezuela, and I already experienced during that time, even though Venezuela, our former constitution was very much like the American Constitution, freedom of speech. It was, you know, Venezuela and Simon Bolivar really tried to mimic what United States was. So when I came here, I was like, huh this country really have freedom of speech because in Venezuela already at the time, there were things, you know, working in television that they told us you cannot say this or say that. When I came to this country, I realized this is really freedom of speech. And with the years and politically correctness, I noticed how we were losing our freedom of speech because now it was not politically correct. And I think that now we need just to take back our freedom of speech and, and if it is not politically correct and and. And some people don't like it. So let's be it, but we should have the right to be able what we say. And also with Obama, uh that's when I started noticing the biggest uh change because that's when bureaucracy just even grew. And bureaucracy is a sign of socialism because it's a way for them to to divert uh you know, governmental money into these bureaucratic offices that instead of having offices with people that are elected running the system, they just diverted to these bureaucratic offices and we don't, we don't have accountability of what what are they doing? And then the corruption that now we're seeing it at all levels. And I experienced that, you know, during my divorce in the judiciary system. And that was the most heartbreaking for me to realize that that corruption has gotten to that level. And in reality, it was around those years that I say, you know what, we're losing this country. And, and I always say I lost that country, I refuse to lose another one. And that's when I said, I better do something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's powerful to hear you say that. Refuse yeah. to lose another country. Now, you, you're a writer, you're a journalist, you're very active in the public policy space, in the policy space, trying to spread conservative values, trying to spread pro-family values, pro-American values. Share a little bit about how you think we, as young women, can be a part of doing just that, of saving our country.
1: Well, we need to be proactive. I always tell people, and that's when I decided to be part of politics, I said, you know, politics should not be a career politics should be service and there is so many different positions that we can run for and be part of like school boards you know city councils that it really is not going to take much time out of your life but you will participate and collaborate and if you run for a position get involved and be you know part of groups that will force our elected officials to have accountability. You know, the most important thing is to have our elected officials to be accountable. And we need to call them off. And when you say, we voted for you because we're expecting for you to do this. And that's especially right now with the problem we have with parental rights. As a mother of three, my children are mine. I have the right to decide where they're going to be educated, how they're going to be educated. The government should not tell us or impose anything to be taught to our children or brainwashed them like they're doing right now. So I, especially for women, because for us, especially our children are our most, you know, I always say that's the that's the point where really get us and is you know get involved. We we need to get involved at any level that you feel you can do it but do something even it is blogging do a podcast write about it you know we we i've been doing all of that i've been punished for doing it as a conservative but i decided that i'm going to keep on going because for me i worry about the future of my children yeah. i worry about i want my children to have hope i want my children to have the american dream i want my children to to hope for greatness because this is the greatest country on earth and that's what I'm here and I want my children to be part of it and we need to save this country because we're losing it so our children can be part of the greatness of this great nation.
0: You know, you really begin to realize, I think, the more um, you sort of get into that public policy space or just sort of follow the news in general, you really realize, oh, my goodness, um, freedom isn't guaranteed. That It's something we have to fight for. It's something that literally from generation to generation we have to be fighting for and ensuring for that next generation. Um, You know, as Ronald Reagan said, it's it's not passed down the bloodline. (laughs) It's something that has to be fought for.
1: And they take it away little by little. And I think people have now realized it, especially during the pandemic. And what happened is we didn't realize since September 11th, we lost a lot of our freedom and stayed like that. We never got it back. You know, we're still treated like like criminals when we go to the airport. Why? If we're citizens, we're law-abiding citizens. And now with the pandemic, they forced us to wear masks. They forced us not to work. Many people lost their jobs. And what I'm worried is that the new generation, the children, and the teenagers got used to this, God used that they told them, you have to wear a mask. You, that for them is now normal that somebody is going to impose something on them that it should have never happened because those are part of our, 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 our freedom and our rights as American citizens and as individuals are God given rights.
0: Absolutely, yeah. We have, to, we have to take a stand for those freedoms, like you've said. Now, I, I want to ask you um, one question that we love to ask everyone that comes on this show, and that is, do you consider yourself a feminist? Yes or no? Why or why not? No
1: right or wrong answer there. <laughs> no, I'm not a feminist. And there is two different ways. I am pro-women rights, but I'm not a feminist. Feminist has done women wrong through history. Because of them, we have lost rights. We are mistreated. And when you see a feminist supporting a transgender that is actually taking a right, you realize that feminists are not pro-women. So I am pro-women's right, but I'm not a feminist. I love to be a woman. I'm a very girl, girly girl woman. Sadly, the feminists are not. And that's who I am. And uh, I want my girls, I have two girls and one son, to be the best they can be. And I will fight for their rights with my nails and teeth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Carmen, thank you so much for joining the show today. We really appreciate your time. Thank
1: you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: And that'll do it for this Tuesday edition of Problematic Women. Of course, join us on Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime take a minute to subscribe and share. As conservatives, we need your support in the podcast world, and especially here at Problematic Women. When you leave us reviews, ratings, it means so much. We read those reviews on the show. So please take five minutes, hop on Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen, give us a shout out, and uh, we would love to share your feedback with our whole audience. But have a great week, and we'll see you right back here on Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of the Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.